Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Chance, you pulled it off. Eric, back there in the sound booth, said, uh, I think the story's turning to the flood narrative now. (laughs) Oh, man. It's great. Thank you. Like, so I'm going to start with an announcement. We almost steal one of your announcements. You can knock it off your list. Um, Because if you really got what Chance just did, you don't need to come to this. You got it. So, but this summer on Tuesday nights in June and July, we're going to do a Great Commission training. And we're going to deal, I'm going to use a fancy word with Christology. It's the study of who Jesus is, what his roles are, how he was present and is present in the earth. What's he doing now? And then what's that mean for us? I hope you can make that. We will record it or zoom it or something. We'll make it available for those who can't come. Uh, But we're going to do that 7 to 8.30 Tuesday nights this summer. Uh, In fact, we're going to start for those who can come at 6.30 and pray for a half hour. So we want to build... We really believe the path forward in our community is prayer. And we're going to want to build this church, continue to build this church on prayer. But we want to take a real step forward. So I hope you can make time for that as well. It's good to be with you. Uh, we weren't here last week. Our daughter got her PhD, and we're, it was so much fun. Yeah, she was really great. And so I know many of you just graduated. There's some in the room who have, and congratulations to each of you. Some of you are here, and you survived one week, a week this week, and congratulations to you. Now you have an experience you don't know how to explain, so congratulations. So last week, we started a narrative that we're coming back to, not just this week, but next. Several months ago, as our elder team was kind of crafting the summer, we came upon this particular chapter in the Gospel of John, and it just looked like another chapter to me, but both Dave and Brian said, we think this one's going to be important. And uh, they didn't necessarily unpack that. And I was like, you know, okay, whatever. But as we've, we've inched near that chapter, there's been a sense of perhaps God wants us to slow down with this narrative. It's the story you may be familiar with. It's sometimes called the story of the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. So we're, gonna, we're not going to be able to do it completely uh, the justice it deserves, but this, this narrative, there's so much in this story, more than I have time to talk about more than I'm going to understand. You know, narratives are different. Narratives get told or read, and then they get left with us. They get left to us. They don't end with, now here's three quick and easy bullet points for you. No, they are left with us to ingest to mull over, to dialogue in community with. Our narrative, this narrative is about a woman who's pursued by Jesus. In fact, she's read by Jesus. Because narratives aren't just something we read, they're something that read us. And that's the point. This is a woman from a minority people group. 
that was shunned in her community. We'll get into that a little more. As Brian noticed last week, this narrative follows on the heels of Jesus having a conversation with another person, a powerful person, a named person. We know his name, Nicodemus. This one's quite different. This is an unnamed person. This is a powerless person in her culture. Last week, Brian looked at this encounter between Jesus and this unnamed woman through the prism of Jesus' pursuit of her, his initiative, his engagement of her. Well done, Brian. This week, we're going to look at it through the prism of her response, her reactions to him. So let's jump in. Beginning in chapter 4 of John, we're going to start at verse 4. It starts this way. Now Jesus had, you can jump to the, thank you, John, uh, had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. He didn't have to go through Samaria. He was going from Galilee, or, or excuse me, from Jerusalem, north of Jerusalem, to Galilee. The common route was through the Jordan Valley. Along the kind of banks of the Jordan River, there were well-marked trails that any good Jew especially would have taken. But John tells us Jesus had to take a different route. So what does he mean by had? Some scholars call this the divine imperative. It's this little three-letter word that we happen upon sometimes in the original language. You pronounce it day. It's like D-E-I in our uh, alphabet. It means he was compelled. There is a sense of, I have to go this way. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go that way? Because there was a woman there that he loved. There was a people there that he wanted to engage an unnamed, seemingly unknown, a shunned person that would be the last person we would probably ever consider as strategic in carrying for Jesus' love to a village. This woman had known all kinds of love and brokenness. She's not the one we would have picked. She's definitely not the one the village would have chosen. Jesus saw her before she even saw him. So he had to go that way. Love does that. See, Jesus himself is in conversation before he gets to her. We're going to see when we get a chapter later in John, he's going to tell his disciples, I don't really do anything just by myself. I do what I see my father doing. So right now we see this in play, Jesus responding to his father, to the divine initiative Go through Samaria, son. I have someone there that I love. John, strategically, it's so interesting. One of the things I've come across in my preparation is John 3.16. Sometimes I think, I think of John 3.16. Most of us know it for the world. That he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have life eternal so often I, I think I've treated that, so, such a famous verse that people lift up at football games. 
I've seen it as just kind of hanging there by itself. No. Like all Scripture, this is a verse in context. This verse comes on the heel, heels of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. This important person who has come to Jesus at night and wants to have a private conversation. And then John's giving commentary on that. For God so loved the world, he let Nicodemus come to Jesus. He's seeking. For God so loved the world, now watch him pursue someone everyone else considered unworthy of pursuit. Jesus is responding to the love of his Father. Because that's what love does. You know, parents will do things for their kids that don't make no sense. Friends will sacrifice for their friend even when it's sacrificial. People in community will put the interest of someone else above themselves and say no to what they want for the sake of someone else because of love. It don't make no sense. I want to pick up the conversation here in verse 5. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. This is an important place for the Samaritans, this Jacob's well. It had been given there. They had kind of made it theirs and owned it for the sale. See, the Samaritans were a very different people. Eight centuries before this is happening, they'd been invaded by the kingdom of Assyria. The southern kingdom of Judah didn't protect this people called Israel. They wouldn't protect them. So they were invaded. Assyria mixed their people with Israel and they created a new people group called Samaritans. They intermarried. They had children. They According to the, quote, good Jews in the south, they were half-breeds. They were outcasts. They hated them. So Samaria responded in, in kind. The big thing they did was about 400 B.C., they built their own temple. Put it on Mount Gerizim and said, this is the true place of worship. They did away with all the Old Testament except the first five books because the rest of those books talk too much about Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. This was Samaria. This was who this people was. So Jesus is in their territory. Jews didn't walk through Samaria. He had to. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, it's about 80 miles from where he was north of Jerusalem to here. He sat down by the well. It was about noon. That's an important point because the Samaritan woman is coming to the well at noon. In the heat of the day. You didn't do that. You went in the morning. Perhaps this was the safe time for her to go to the well. Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why would you ask me for a drink? Let's try to imagine about this woman a little bit together. What's her life like? Well, we're not told a lot about her, but what we're told is pretty important. 
Well, see that she's came at noon by herself. That says something socially about her that I've already mentioned. We also learn she's been married five times. That's problematic. I mean, you can imagine how problematic it is anyway. But in their law, they had a three strikes and you're out law. After the third marriage failed, you were shunned. She didn't belong. Jesus sees her and asks her for a drink. And she responds with a question. We don't really know. The interesting thing is, we don't really know her tone. You know, we're not privy to that. Is it like perplexity? How in the world would you ask me? I mean, she could have just given him the drink quietly and gone on about her day. But she doesn't. In her own way, whether it's said with kind of perplexity, whether it's said with a bit of attitude, who do you think you are asking me to give you a drink? That last phrase up there where it says, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. It's not a great translation. It actually used, they don't share the same cup. That's what it means. They don't share utensils. That's considered unclean. Or maybe she's asking it kind of from a place of, of humility. Kind of like, sir, I, you don't want me to give you a drink. That's going to make you unclean. We, we don't really know exactly, but what we do know is she's using her voice. She's curious Perhaps courageous. Let's read on in verse 10. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Conversation is beginning to change a bit. Sir, the woman says, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? That's her second question. Are you greater than Jacob? We don't know her tone. It seems like perhaps there's some resistance in the question. Are you greater? Where's the resistance coming from? Let's let's pause for a moment. There and imagine if there's resistance, where's it coming from? We've come to know resistance, haven't we? We've come more familiar with it the past few years. We've been acquainted with a reality that before it seems like we could put two or three layers down, but now it's not so easy. And the reality is we think differently about a lot of things. As a nation, we think very differently from one another about a lot of issues. We've always known that, but somehow we kind of kept going to Fourth of July parades together at the same time. It was okay. In fact, most of us just chose not to talk about it. In our community in our city, in our church, we've come to face this reality. We think differently about some things. I think we can think the same about one thing. 
I pose this question to you. Can we agree about something? We're not that good and comfortable about thinking differently. About being together. Being a fellowship of difference. It's hard for us. It challenges us. Why is that? What makes it so difficult that way? I don't have all the answers to that. I suspect that partly of, part of the answer is we're not comfortable with the resistance that we feel. We don't know what to do with it. There's worldly ways of handling the resistance. We feel those ways. Sometimes maybe we choose them. One's called check out. Avoid. Polarize and huddle together with people who think just like me about the, these important issues. Stay away. It's the way of passivity. There's another way called get defensive and self-righteous about what I think. Polarize that way. That's the way of the aggressive. The two are pretty related. But there's another way. I think we're seeing it a bit in this conversation between Jesus and this woman. It's hard to say for sure. But the other way is hard. It's much harder. It's the way of leaning in. And it's the way of getting curious. It's the way of being courageous. It's learning also to be self-suspicious. It's the way of humility. It's the way of doing the work of being human with other humans. It's the way of doing the work of being people with a common allegiance to Jesus. Our, our elder team has, has been engaging a number of issues over the past several months. Many of you know that. Gender and ministry, leadership, discipleship, what it means to be church, evangelicalism in North America, spiritual formation. There's been a lot of conversations around those topics and others. Some of them have been hard. But I want to say to you, they've very much been worth it. They've so much been worth it. There's been times I think we have felt like, I can't speak for Dave and Brian, but I can speak for Jim. It's like, I don't know about this. This is really uncomfortable. I'm feeling resistance. I want to take one of those other options. Sometimes in my mind and heart, I have. But there's been a place each time where God has met us. And has encouraged us and said, this is right. This is worth it. Lean in. Be curious. Be self-suspicious. Take the way of humility. Take a learning posture. Be honest. You don't have to sacrifice your convictions, but stay in conversation with it. Even when you feel hurt, God has met us. 
over and over. And that's reality. That's just not a point in a sermon. I'm being very honest with you. God has met us. And as He has, there's been a vision emerging from us. It's still in process. But it's there. And I encourage you to talk to these guys too about it. I think a couple things that we've learned is one, we're actually quite a bit more alike than we give ourselves credit for. But I think the other thing that's emerged is this is what love does. And there's ways forward in this simple kingdom. We're going to see in the conversation in just a second how this starts to flesh out. But our commitment to become more like Jesus that's undergirded this has demanded that we stay in the conversation. There's been a sense of we don't, have a cho- we don't get a choice here if we're going to stay true to following Him. Let's read on. There's an honest request now. That's the next Big lesson is the lesson of honest request. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, the water she's getting for him. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Here's the second best statement in the whole narrative. Sir, give me this water. So I won't get thirsty and keep having to come back here. Now, she's not understanding what he's saying. But it's okay that she doesn't understand him yet. Her courage and her curiosity has kept her in the conversation to this point. And even at this point, she's not quite getting what he's saying. Whether that's she's just feisty or it's courage or curiosity... She's there. Sometimes the honest request from one another is the most courageous thing we can do. This, just this past week, Dave and I and Brian and I were in conversation, and, and I said something stupid, you know. I do that once a year. I try to schedule one a year. If you, don't believe, if you believe that, you don't know me. I said something kind of stupid, and and Dave just, I mean, I'm not quoting, but this was the gist of it. He just said, Jim, um, that's pretty hurtful. That's pretty hurtful. Could you learn how to make that comment about me differently? And it's a game changer. You know, because if you know Dave and me, he's, he's, he's more assertive in his personality than me most of the time. And, you know... I, I, when I'm with really strong kind of black and white thinkers, I'll, I'll, I often walk away feeling a little bit beat up. I'm used to it. Uh, I'm always surprised when I'm the one that has hurt someone. And I need to get over being surprised because I do it too. And Dave was courageous to say, bro, that hurt. I don't like the way you just stereotypes me. It was an honest request It wasn't a demand. Man, it was courageous. And it was a watershed in the conversation, just like it's happening here. Sir, 
Give me this water. Jesus is about to get real personal with her. But they couldn't have gotten here without that question. Give me this water. Her life is about to change. And a whole village with it. Jesus had to go there. Let's read on. We're getting close to the end here. Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. First, she uses deception. I have no husband, she says. Well, technically that was true. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the truth is you've had five. I wonder what she's feeling right now. The man you now have, he ain't your husband. So you're, you're right. Deception didn't work. Something has just changed that we probably have to read between the lines. Jesus knows she's been married five times, so he had to go. He's watching his father. His father's speaking in his ear about this conversation. Jesus knows this woman's life. So notice the tone. I mean, we don't really know the tone, but notice the word, sir. I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, where we built our temple. You Jews claim that the place we have to worship is Jerusalem. First deception, now deflection. You see, did you see it? Jesus is speaking to her right in the place of her brokenness. The reason she's been shunned, married five times. I mean, can you imagine her story? Jesus is reciting it to him. We'll see that in a second to her. So where's the right place? Her deflection is, let's talk about an issue. Let's, let, let me, let's talk about religion. That's not what Jesus is talking to her about. So she deflects the question to the issue. Notice how he answers. He, here's the thing that's really beautiful about this, I think, is that he doesn't like rebuke her for deflecting. He takes her seriously and treats her with dignity as a human being. So he says, go to that next slide, John. Thank you. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. At first, that sounds like a, a bit of a, a racial put-down. We Jews, we worship what we know. You guys, you worship what you, you don't know what you're doing. But notice what he says next. Yet a time is the Father. In spirit and in truth. For this is the kind of worship the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. I mean, we can't spend a lot of time on this except to say, Jesus is saying, we both getting it wrong. 
if, we, if, we, if we're arguing about the right place? How many times when we're caught up in issues, right, left, take the shot, don't take the shot, critical race theory versus the, the new one, I just forgot its name. Like, we all getting it wrong here. You ever feel that? It didn't work for her. Jesus answers her question, but that's not meeting her where she is. I'm not saying there isn't right, wrong on issues. Don't hear me say that. I'm saying God is meeting her. And this is not about the issue. Notice what she says. I know that Messiah knew Messiah was going to like give cred to their place of worship, to their choice of selective Old Testament, all of that. They had built up this persona of a Messiah. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And here's the best one. Then Jesus said, I, the one whom you are speaking about, one whom you are seeking am he I am he that's a great I am statement of Jesus no metaphor needed I'm he I'm the one you're looking for perhaps I've been the one behind the curtain you've been looking for those other five times I have the water that will truly quench the longing of your thirst and your quest. Here, here's the really interesting thing about narratives. Like John's telling us the story. He's probably leaving out all kinds of stuff, which we'll see in a second. But like this is the tender moment in the conversation right here. I am he. You know what happens next? Go to the next slide, John. The disciples walk up and interrupt them. And they don't have a clue what's going on. They're not even curious. They don't even ask, like, what's going on here, Jesus? That's why we have to sit with it. That's what narratives do. They say, here's the way it happened. How would it read you? So we have this really incredible moment but the story doesn't end there we're not going to read all the story today but we're going to look at just a couple then leaving her water jar the woman went back to the town and said to the people come see a man who what told me everything I ever did. And then the question, the story for our purposes ends with the curious question. Could this man be the Messiah? So what we, what we don't know, again, it's what narratives do. We don't know if Jesus really, like if this conversation isn't like this short, 
And it's really hours and hours and hours. And he's saying, can, can we talk about husband number three for a minute? Yeah, here's what was, I think was really going on there. And can, let, let's go back to your father. Can we do that for a little bit? Like, we don't know, but she goes back to the town and says, he told me everything I ever did. Maybe it was just her way of saying, he knew me. He knew I'd been married five times. You know, we, we don't really know what's unpacked in this. I mean, it doesn't really matter. The point is God met her in Jesus there. And now the disciples are there, so conversation's coming to an end, but she's going back to her village. And God has met her. You know, her, she didn't get answered, as far as we know, about some of the issues. But she met Christ. And that's why Jesus had to go. That's why he had to go. Because of love. Because he loved her. And he loved the people behind her, that village. So let me, let me just end with some reflective questions for you. There's more. You may, have a, you may have a better takeaway than I could possibly give you. Because that's what narratives do. They read us. But here's the ones that I've come up with. First, are you answering your resistance with courage and curiosity? Are you doing the work of engaging your resistance? Are you just checking out? Are you isolating? Are you avoiding? Are you polarizing and huddling with people? Are you taking the way of self-righteousness? Hey, I've crafted my way and you can't penetrate that. Or are you taking the posture of a learner? That doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean you're right. It means you're willing to open that place up. Whatever, wherever that resistance is, it means you're willing to say, here it is. This feels hard to talk about this. Maybe it's, maybe it's resistance to the culture. Maybe it's resistance to your spouse. Maybe it's resistance to your friends. who you're, It's not quite the same anymore. Are you being cur- courageous and curious with it? Does it mean that's not a silver bullet? It means now everything's going to be fine. May, it may make it harder. But will you have the courage to lean in that? I think if you do, the results I can't guarantee. You're becoming more like Jesus. you got a really good chance of that. Second, <clears throat> It's really the same question, honestly. Are your convictions being tempered with humility? With a learning posture? Third, where's love in all that? This whole encounter is built on that verse 4. Now Jesus had to go to Samaria. And I believe he went because the father loved this woman. 
And Jesus was following his father's lead and he's filled with love toward her. They're sharing the same essence. He loves this village, the people who are unnamed completely. It was all because of love. It wasn't because of a sense of conquest. It was because God so loved the world. And then finally, are there ways of deception or deflection being employed in your life? When God gets real personal with us, with you, what's that like for you? When He wants to step in and have a conversation about that place. Maybe it's a place that you're afraid to not be uh, so confident about. Maybe it's just a tender place because there's wounds there. Jesus knows how to meet us when we're vulnerable in, in a way that no one else can. He will meet us there. He will meet you there. Will you lean in there? One thing I've learned is often there's a question behind the question. The question that I initially form in community with my friends, with the elders, there's another question behind it that's a lot more vulnerable. Jesus wants to meet us at those places. You're right, you have no husband. The fact is, and there we go. So this could have been a theological discussion about proper place of worship. And someone would have walked away maybe proud that they got it right. Fortunately, it became something else. It it became about God meeting a woman. And as we're going to see next week, a village. So there's actually a lot at stake. When we choose deflection and deception or of ourselves and others or whatever, we lose. We lose. Others lose. When we choose the way of humility and learning and vulnerability, we've chosen the way of Jesus. And we've stepped into his inverted kingdom. That's what the song was getting at. A different kingdom that operates differently. That sees differently. That finds contentment in things the world sees as despicable. That finds joy in the little. And a whole lot of other ways. This is the way of Jesus. He doesn't have another one. Let's pray together. Lord, you modeled this way by coming in weakness, in vulnerability, succumbing yourself to flesh, to temptation, to humanity. You became human in Jesus. You stayed human 
You lived as a human and walked among us. You weren't just that baby in the cradle. You grew as a human. You left us as a human. You ascended into heaven with your body. You now are at work as God and man with your Father on our behalf. God, that's so much above our pay grade. But you have met us in Jesus. Lord, I pray that right now and going forward, we would get comfortable with that. Where we feel resistance. Where we feel like, I can't open that place of my heart up. I have to self-protect that hurt. Or I have to make sure that I'm right before I get my, give my answer. Whatever it is, God, I pray that we would learn the way of humanity according to Jesus. And we would follow in His way. And this is just one of them, Lord. And we can't, don't even see probably all that much in this story. But Lord, we trust Your Holy Spirit that just as it spoke into the ear of Jesus and go, say, go to Samaria, that you, you do like kinds of things for us and guide us and lead us into Your mission because You love us and You love others. Shape us, form us, mold us into those ways. God, maybe there's someone here this morning that You're meeting in an experiential way for them Maybe for the first time, maybe in a, in a fresh way, you're meeting them. God, give them the courage, curiosity, feistiness, whatever it needs to be to say, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm curious. I'm not going to polarize. I'm going to enter this with you and with this community. Give us grace. God, we're not capable of this on our own. We need you. We know that. So we're asking for it. That's our honest request. Give us grace. Give us mercy. Don't give us what we deserve. Lord, we can't bear the weight of always having to be right. We can't bear the weight of always being on the right side of things. So show us how to walk and live in your life. And you bear that weight for us. Teach us. Continue to teach us. It's in your good name we pray. Amen.